Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 100. Uh, it's been a long journey to get here, and it's been a lot of fun to record these photo geekery episodes on a weekly basis. I am your host, Don Kamarechka, and I always have somebody with me to geek out with on the industry news and anything that comes up that is noteworthy for photographers and anybody in the photo industry in general. Now, I've had a lot of fanfare for Steve Brazel. So he is back here for the 100th episode of this podcast because the fans just love him so much. So Steve, thank you for agreeing to being on this monumental triple digit episode. Happy birthday to <laughs> you. No, I won't do the whole thing. Hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for being here, especially in these uh, very interesting, uncertain times. And, uh, you know, that's going to affect the stories that we talk about in this episode and probably the foreseeable future as this industry and just about every other industry is dramatically impacted uh, by the COVID-19 virus. And I don't want to... Well, and, and you can't not talk about it, but you can also talk about some of the the, the the things that can benefit us during these times. Of course. And and I don't want to be all doom and gloom and, and dwell on the statistics. They're changing so rapidly. And you can follow like mainstream news to get all of those numbers and what have you. Uh, NBC has a great live blog and uh, worldometers.info has statistics on the latest uh, happenings in terms of the number of people infected and and, uh, and so on and so forth based on country. There, there's resources out there for you uh, to keep abreast with. But um, let's talk about, uh, how it's impacting us personally before we get into the stories. And that kind of leads into our first story. Uh, but Steve, they're not really, uh, pretty well every music venue, uh, in terms of concerts and what have you, they're all shut down right now, right? Yeah. Major stadium tours are, were the first to be hit and live nation canceled all the major stadium tours. I had two shows coming up this week that I was planning on shooting that are smaller venue. It's like an 800, 1800 seat, you know, small theater. And those now have been either canceled or postponed depending on the show or the tour. And so you've got a lot of people that are <clears throat> ending up with a lot of free time on their hands from bartenders to ticket takers, to waiters, to restaurants, to us photographers. Yeah. And uh, I mean, us as photographers, it's not just in the music industry. If you had uh, weddings planned, uh, you know, a lot of those have been rescheduled or canceled in some way. I, I was having dinner with our mutual friend, Troy Miller, and his uh, lovely wife, Margie. And as we're sitting at dinner, she's on her phone texting with a bride because the bride is trying to find a new day later in the year to postpone their wedding. Right. And so that's going to bunch up all of the weddings to later in the year, which will crowd every photographer's schedule if indeed they are even still allowed to continue. Because again, it's completely uncertain how long this will last. Um, if China's any indication right now, though, they're kind of claiming that there's no or incredibly few new cases uh, within their borders compared to other nations that are in um, unprecedented crisis right now. And that's actually a good sign because it means that at least one country in the world's got this under control and maybe we should mimic exactly what they're doing. I just saw that uh, nitrogen dioxide levels, as reported by satellites above China, uh, have increased, which means industry is churning back up again. Uh, and that's a good sign, I think, for everybody involved. And so, I mean, we got to take those silver linings as they come for me. Well, and, and you and I talked about this topic once before and really... This is going to be 
a, a an economic issue for mo- more people than not. And that's why you want to take this time and use your time properly. If if you have a full-time job and you're a freelancer and you're not shooting concerts and you happen to be at home, there's a number of things you can do at this time because you're not going to be buying a Nikon D6 because that was delayed too much. You're not going to be buying an EOS R5, possible delays, Fuji X-T4, Sony a7 IV. There are things you're not going to be doing, but there are things you can do. Right. And and I, I, I want to talk positivity here. I mean, my mortgage is going to be the lowest rate I could have ever imagined because I'm due for renewal in May. And I just locked in a 90 day rate that may or may not go up or down, but I'm still really happy with what it is right now. Um, yeah, you look at uh, that Sony was going to be uh, possibly, you know, crippling one of their cameras because they had a shortage of of components that they were shipping off to like put into PlayStation 5s and so on and so forth. And that might change. So whatever is going to come from Sony might no longer have certain production limitations because production has slowed. You know, right, there's right. Th- there are things on the periphery here that, you know, I, I kind of have to grasp at straws a little bit to find them, but they're there. And so uh, grasp, we will, because uh, we have to kind of stay positive about all of this. Well, well, uh, like in radio, we don't we don't dwell on things like this because people come to listen to radio to escape. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so we the, the most we'll even refer to something like this is we'll say, you know, look, while you were out looking for toilet paper or during these crazy times, let's keep the rock going. And it's yeah. the same now. Now is a perfect time for you to take a route that can, in the long run, improve your skills, improve your business. You can practice, you can watch videos, you can uh, you know, read books, update your portfolio, update your website. Those are the two to me that are the big thing. Every photographer I know, if you look at their portfolio, they'll say to you, yeah, some of those pictures are old. I've been meaning to, to redo my, you know, update my portfolio. So go do it. Go register your copyrights. Yes. Now, I, did, I did this January 1st and January 2nd. I set aside time for both uh, bo- uh, both of those days, and I wish I had done it sooner. But I went through like images that weren't my uh, critical successes. Those ones I already had registered individually. But I just went through year by year and registered everything that I published. Uh, and that helps protect me and, uh, and my photography moving forward and gives me possible new business angles. Um if you're not doing that now, you definitely should be. There's a lot of stuff that you should be doing. And you should also be reading some photo blog websites. And I want to kind of lead into the first story unless you had another comment on that. No, I actually did have have one more comment when when you said registering your copyright. Search for copyright infringements too. But, you know, the biggest problem I find with most people, they'll say, yeah, I really want to register my copyright. It just seems so complex and it's hard. So now's the time for you to to look at your back catalog, register all of your images, get comfortable with it, do it over and over because you're most likely going to do more than one batch, get it in your head, come up with a workflow so that when you do start shooting jobs again, you can work that pricing into your pricing structure to your clients. It's only $55. It's 55 bucks. I actually thought based on the email that I got in the US that it was going up to 65, but that was a standard copyright registration, not a batch of unpublished or published photos. 
So uh, I used a reference point provided by you, Steve, on an episode of your BehindTheShot.tv podcast where you walked people through um, the process to register your images. Now, you did it, I believe, based on unpublished images. Correct. Um, And so I modified it for already published images, but the process is like 95% the same. You just have to check. And I mentioned the differences in in that particular particular episode, I mentioned the differences and I give some of the tools that I use. Like I use a specific Lightroom plugin that's donationware that I, I w- probably wouldn't register if I didn't have that plugin. It makes right. it so much easier to get the metadata data that I need. And uh, so I registered uh, beginning of January, and uh, this month I have been receiving all of my registration certificates. I believe I've gotten them all as of yesterday was when the last one arrived. Um, and so they've just been going through them as as they do. Uh, of course, with the current climate, people might be working from home or not at all on some of these things. So the delay might get a little bit longer for you. But expect about a three-month delay uh, uh, right now, uh, at least when it comes to receiving those documents, but I haven't had any issues. Uh, nobody contacted me for any revisions or so on that. So it just, there, there are things we can keep busy with uh, that will kind of protect us and make us stronger moving forward. And I think that's what everybody should be focusing on. I agree. Uh, so our first story, uh, an editorial from DP Review, uh, written by the senior editor, Barnaby Britton of dpreview.com. The world is ending. Why are you still writing about cameras? Question mark. And uh, I'll read just the first sentence here, uh, or the first paragraph. Well, here we are. Uh, It seems like a year ago that I was pulling alarming statistics together about the economic impact of the novel coronavirus outbreak. But in fact, it's only been two weeks. And wow, times have changed over those two weeks. Uh, and and more so, I mean, it, it goes back to December, of course, uh, when this thing uh, sort of uh, initialized in, in our worldview, but it was so distant and so far away, and now it's virtually in our backyards. Um, you've read this editorial, and I encourage everybody to do so, to go to dpreview.com uh, and your favorite photo blogs. I mean, give them some some page refreshes. I mean, give them some ad views. The industry needs it across the board right now. Um, but what do you think about uh, what Barnaby was saying here? I, I like what he was saying. And, and here's the reason. First of all, yeah, the way this editorial was set up, that you know, it seems like forever and it's actually only been two weeks. When I read that, even I kind of went, wow, it's only been two weeks from the point where I could walk into a grocery store and get anything. And now the shelves are consistently empty. But this, this editorial takes a turn I actually liked. And that is they start to discuss we're lucky. We're not among the thousands of hourly employees, catering, travel, hospitality, that are looking for works, filing for unemployment. That's a key thing. If you are in a position where, and I am, you can still do some work and earn some money. I do IT, so I can do IT remotely. If you're, and I just did some voiceovers today, actually related to COVID-19 for the city, for their on-hold system and and, uh, phone messages. If you are in a position where you can still work and make some money, count your blessings. If you're not in that position, don't be afraid to ask for help from friends and family. Don't be afraid to to 
start looking down the road at how we were discussing it before we got into the story on how you can set yourself up for success once things do settle down. You can still be proactive. And that's kind of what he says in this editorial is keep working no matter what, keep doing something and working. Keep investing in yourself, uh, even if you have to internalize it, right? Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be investing in new equipment right about now. And, you know, that's actually a, a, a bad thing because, of course, it hurts the photo industry at large. And especially with a lot of companies ramping up new platforms at the moment, having something like this can be a drastic setback. Um, but I, I, I don't mean for people to be spending money that is not going to have an immediate return on investment. What I mean to be saying here is invest wisely, not monetarily. I mean, with time, if you're stuck at home and you have time to work on stuff, educate yourself. I mean, read websites like DP review, uh, petapixel and F stoppers and so many of these other blogs that always produce great content. But, but beyond that, um, you try new things, experiment, uh, start build, your own blog, start your own blog, uh, build your skill set so that when things do normalize again, which, which they will, uh, but when they do, the world is going to be a little bit different. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know where people are going to be spending their money and neither do you. So as a photographer that might depend on this world as, as their income, then, uh, we also have to think, okay, well, if the world is going to change in some way, diversify, expand your skill set, make sure that you're well equipped to ride the wave. Um, and so that's basically what they're saying here. And why are you still talking about cameras? Because honestly, it's in our blood. Uh, I mean, that's, we, our, that's our pastime conversation as well. But here's the other thing. I, I Everybody that I know says, oh, well, this is going to be a great time to catch up on TV shows or rent movies. And that's great. I've been watching a lot of TV shows. But you could go to Creative Live and buy classes. You could sign up for a membership at Kelby One and study all day long. You could go check out the stuff from Aaron Nace at Flern. There are there are resources out there, and what I the, the three I just mentioned are you know three random ones that I happen to like. But there may even be overlap. But the beauty of that overlap is Aaron Nace is going to teach you differently than Scott Kelby is going to teach you differently than. XYZ over it at Creative Live. Of course, so, there's lynda.com. There's Linda behindtheshot.tv, well. right? You know, uh, watch Steve's backlog of dissecting images and the people behind them and, and understand what makes them tick and, and learn some stuff there too. Of course. Um, so, I mean, we are, we are in interesting times. Um, we... We have to adapt, we have to be positive, and we just have to keep moving forward. And that's basically what that message was all about. And uh, kudos to DP Review for actually making an article about that, which spawned 450 comments as I loaded this article up. Uh, and in in generality, and surprisingly, the comments are not vitriolic on uh, on DP Review. Everybody's kind of, they, they have opinions, but they're not shouting down other people. Um, as things and sometimes they're comedic. Yeah. And sometimes uh, it's just avoiding, uh, you know, the things that are hot button issues like politics and religion, et cetera. Everybody, as soon as those are off the table uh, and there's no real connection to that, people are generally nice. This is a good uh, kind of uh, sociology experiment here uh, to try and talk about stuff that doesn't have any implications that anybody can relate to political borders, etc. Well, so. and, and like Christian 2000 says in the comments there, remember rule number one, cardio.
<laughs> stay healthy, right? Yeah, stay it's healthy, a zo- stay zo- zombie land. I, I I got some gardening I got to do tomorrow. The weather's going to be nice. So I'll get my cardio in then. But. By the way, while we're talking about this, you should mention the thing Skip Cohen is doing starting next week. That's right. So starting on Monday, uh, right after this is, it's probably going to be published uh, this uh, this week. It's, uh, I didn't mention it on the start. I mentioned the episode 100, but we're recording this on March 19th. And hopefully I publish it the same day or the day after. But the Monday following, uh, Skip Cohen is getting a bunch of photographers together, including me and Steve, uh, to, I think there's seven of us in total. We might not all be on every show, but we're going to do what we're going to call um, the F64 Lunch Bunch. And uh, we're just going to hang out uh, at, uh, I believe the time we talked about was 2 p.m. Eastern. 2 p.m. And- Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, starting on Monday, yeah. And uh, we are going to, I, I believe, tackle a vague topic of interest every day so that if you are sitting at your desk as a photographer and you're wondering what to do with yourself, join us. Uh, grab your lunch. It might be a little bit late for some, might be a bit early for others, but just join us around that time. Uh, and uh, we will uh, hopefully educate, entertain, inspire, or give you at least some ideas for you to keep yourself busy because you've got time and time uh, with without obligations for going out and shooting can be made into something very valuable. So uh, yeah, well, great and, mention and the other thing about this is it's a webinar. Uh, only a hundred people will be able to join other than the people on the, the seven people on the panel or however many on the panel, but those hundred people will be able to ask questions in a Q and a, you'll be able to vote on the questions that people ask. So there's some interaction that goes on. It's not just, uh, you know, voyeurism. It's you come and participate, ask some questions and have some fun. And the link, it's going to be a zoom.us link uh, through the webinar, but the link all the photographers involved will be sharing on their social media you this won't weekend, miss it. probably. Yeah. So follow me and Steve on social media, and you'll see what we are up to to that end. All right. Let's get into some actual news, shall we? Um, so also from dpreview.com, Rico creates a startup for specialty cameras and starts with a new ultra compact selfie camera. Now we skipped this story last week. I did want to put it in the rundown. It just didn't cross my mind when I was putting the show notes together. So we've got it for this week. Um, And this is kind of interesting. So uh, Vecnos, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm glad you tried. uh, Yeah. When people use a C in the middle of a word, you never know what it's supposed to sound like. Uh, Anyhow. So, um, this is a new branch for Rico, which also has created the Theta brand as well, or at least the naming structure for their uh, VR 360 cameras. This is separate from that. This is something that is going to be, uh, from what I can tell, roughly autonomous once it gets up and going. I mean, they're really kind of branding it in a very separate way. Um, and their first product is rather cool. Uh, it It's like a, a magic wand. I mean, imagine like a Harry Potter stick-sized kind of thing. And, on and it actually the, is comparatively long to the to the Theta. Yeah, uh, and it is, uh, so you're going like, to, that's why I say magic wand. It's not that, that compact, uh, but it has around the orb at the end, uh, three cameras uh, sort of circumnavigating the outside and a fourth camera on the top. Now, that one, I don't even know why they really bothered. What are you going to be filming the ceiling fan or the sky with that one? But hey, you want to create the full structure and keep that cohesive. So there you go. Um, 
And I could see this being quite a valuable thing. If you're doing a party, you know, getting the family together over Thanksgiving or whatever else, and you want to have just a really high quality device, it looks based on the design that it will be able to stitch things together very, very well. And that software is always improving too. Um, so this is the, uh, I don't know, the, the evolution of social interaction. Now they're not practicing social distancing in their marketing material. I can guarantee you that. Um, and nor would you with a device like this. So pick one up after our current pandemic is over, uh, which I'm sure they won't be shipping until much later. But wh what do you think about this in general here, Steve? First of all, Vecnos, people start, <laughs> hire somebody to create a name. Yeah, because some of the stuff that's coming out lately is just making me think they they can't come up with anything. Uh, the Theta 360 is still going to be a division within Rico. Yeah, they're not that changing is completely that. Completely separate. Vecnos is a separate, complete startup, but it is connected to Theta 360 because the original leader of the Theta team is the new Vecnos CEO, Shu Ubakata. Uh this, I'm guessing, and you'll be able to answer this better than me with your mind. To me, the, the camera on the top makes sense because if you start going with super wide lenses and you try and do it all around and still get a full spherical 360, the lenses are going to be more expensive. But it's cheap nowadays with software to do stitching. So they could probably, I'm guessing, use four cheaper sensors and cheaper lens setups by doing three around the side and one at the top and then just stitching it together. Wouldn't that be cheaper than better lenses with wider angles? Uh, so long as programmatically you can put it all together properly, right? And so long as whatever algorithms you uh, concoct to combine that stuff together doesn't show the seams. And and, uh, and that's going to be the key. What what was fascinating was I don't see this for stills. I see it for video. Yeah. They're, they're calling it a selfie stick, basically. But it does do stills. It does do video. And the pictures seem to show a an internal stereo microphone, which will be interesting. And everything is tied into the app. So there's going to be a new mobile app that will come out when this device is released that lets you not only shoot the 360, but recompose the 360 by sliding it around. Yeah. Okay. That kind of raises a question for me because um, this has to be... Um, it has to be universal, I guess is the best word. It almost like it has to be supported natively by your operating system, whether it's uh, iOS, Android, OS X, Windows, whatever system that you're viewing this on. In order for this kind of content, I think, to be just universally appreciated and shared, it has to be universally supported on a, na on a native level. And having proprietary apps... I mean, you're, you worry then that your content might go the way of the Lytro camera, right? Where, you know, when they pull the plug uh, on how you can access the data, then it becomes a paperweight. Uh, or even if it is still accessible, but you can't create more or it just there's a barrier to entry when you proprietize this stuff. Unless the app is only being used when you take a still and you're using it to if, if you watch the videos on the site, you'll understand what I'm talking about here to slide around the angle, to move the angle, and then you snap a picture or shoot a standard MP4, then that video could be saved anywhere. This is true. It However, may just be a composing tool. It may be it may be a proprietary viewfinder, but that you can take the picture no matter what. 
That's right. Uh, my point is that we still haven't established a standard protocol uh, for uh, for composing 3D data, right? Uh, or, right. or it's not 3D, it's 360. Um, although with three cameras in a row rather, rather than two, they might have enough overlap for some stereoscopic ability. Um, that much is not certain at this point, but uh, it certainly wouldn't be the full gamut. Now, um, where do you see this going? I mean, will will this become bigger and better over time, or will this be kind of a flash in the pan gimmick that is just going to stay sort of as it is, grow uh, evolutionarily just from one product cycle to the next, or do you see this being a revolutionary change in how we record our most favorite events? Okay, so I'm the downer now, because <laughs> when the Theta 360 first came out, Everybody bought one and it became so irritating that anytime there was a group of more than two, <laughs> somebody would stick a 360 camera in the middle and take a 360 picture or do 360 video. It became irritating. That's kind of morphed its way into society anyway, that everybody's always doing a selfie and sticking their phone out there. But I don't know. To me, one of the interesting uses for this is I think of Alex Lindsay, who on MacBreak Weekly uh, quite often talks about the fact that he will do 360 shots. <clears throat> excuse me. He'll do 360 photos of he's going to do a, an event in a large hall or lar large space, and he'll take a 360 shot, bring that back use software to actually build a complete 3D room so that he can see what he's working with. And that's kind of where I see this is if you were going to do a presentation and you wanted to be able to study the room, you could walk into the middle of the room, shoot a 360, take it back and analyze the space. I see this in many ways, both the Theta and this new one. I see this in many ways being a business tool. I don't yeah. see like they show in the video I don't see teenagers keeping this in their pocket and pulling it out on a cliff on the beach to take pictures. That being said, uh, at least not in, all, uh, in the North American culture, um, we haven't had a great success with like clip-on body camera, sort of like recording your your entire life snapshot at a time, you know, one frame every 30 seconds or what have you. But those products did catch on in other territories uh, with other cultural... Great point. Uh, so... Yeah, it, it might not fit our sensibilities. And they are picturing what would be generally uh, Caucasian uh, ethnic people intermingling like the North American marketing ads will rather than somebody that is decidedly of one ethnici uh, ethnicity or another. Um, but uh, yeah, I, okay. Um, this might have a huge success in Asia. Uh, or in Africa or wherever it's going to catch on, uh, but maybe not in every area. And that's okay. Well, there's, is it though? Is it though? If you have a startup, I do believe that something like this, I mean, there's a lot of things in cultures outside of North America that we don't even really kind of know that exist because they haven't caught on here. But if this only kicked off and worked socially, in a couple of cultures around the world for a brand new startup, would that be enough business to keep them going? 
Uh, well, I mean, Asia is billions of people, so that's more than North America. Uh, I mean, yes, there's budgetary concerns uh, based on how much a uh, device costs based on the individual income in certain territories. And so that, I think, would be a very uh, important deciding factor. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how uh, how inexpensively these can be made. You mentioned to your, uh, to your point that possibly putting more cameras of a more cheap design could actually lower the cost of such yep. a device. They, they don't mention cost here in any way that I've seen. So that, that is what do you think of- this would be? If, if you were to put on your, your hat with a propeller on the top, which I'm guessing you own, <laughs> I might have one. If you were to put that on and prognosticate as to what the final price of a product like this would be, what would you guess? Or what would you, two things, what do you think it's going to be? And what do you think it has to be? Uh, one fifty nine ninety nine is what it has to be. It can't be more expensive than that. And I think it might be a hundred dollars more than that. I think it's going to end up two fifty to three hundred, and I actually think it has to be closer to a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of in the same ballpark there, at the very least. Um, but uh, well, time will tell. We'll see what this comes out with. Uh, they might have to sell them almost at a loss to begin with, because I, what I think is going to be helpful here. And, and Sony may have done this when they started with their alpha cameras. I, I couldn't really uh, get any sensibilities on it, but they came, they hit the ground running when Sony uh, knew they had to compete against Canon and Nikon, and they were offering cameras uh, of comparable specs at a much cheaper price point. And I don't know if they were making money on those. If they were, it, it wasn't as much as their competition, but they were trying to gain market share. I think that's one of the keys for something like this to be a success is their first range of products are not designed to make profit. They're designed to build the market that will allow future products to be successful. Yeah, arguably a, a proof of business concept. Yeah. That yeah. then you can, you know, come out with version two. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story, which I don't think we'll spend too much time on, but I did want to mention it um, uh, from Petapixel reporting that the camera review site Imaging Resource has been acquired by Matavor Media. Uh, Steve, have you ever uh, you know perused Imaging Resource? When I first got into photography, I was on Imaging Resource regularly. Great in-depth reviews, great in-depth you know product explanations. Uh, I think, wasn't it Imaging Resource also that had the really good camera comparison tool? I believe so. Where you could go in and and in a chart, you could pull camera A, pull camera B, and it would show you sample images at different ISOs. You could even choose what ISO you wanted to see. Uh, It was a great resource. And when I think it was October that they said that they were stopping, uh, it was not a good day for photography journalism. Right. And well, and, and to be fair, they're not the only people with those resources. DP Review also has a really nice comparison tool. And uh, I think DxO Labs also has their own tests that they've run, although I don't think they have sample images there. Um, but OK, so a great resource for, uh, for photographers um, that was going to go away. And uh, they I guess they were looking for buyers uh, all the way, probably prior to October when they had announced that. Um, and now, just now, we get the news that Matavor Media which if people don't realize who that company is, uh, they're the publisher of Outdoor Photographer, Digital Photo Pro, Digital Photo Magazine, and others. And I brought up their brands too, because there's uh, you know the HD Video Pro, 
bird watching jazz times. I mean, they go all over the board, gluten-free living for that matter. Um, so they are a publisher. Uh, they have a good portfolio of photo stuff, but for the most part, most of what they seem to be involved in is traditional publications. So I'm hopeful that this is that, uh, that parent companies kind of uh, branching out into uh, organizations that started in the digital era that don't have to then transition to it and thereby are a little bit more adept on uh, on surviving and growing and and being profitable move, moving forward. It, it's less of a reinvention of Matavor because they're buying a resource that already exists that they can then morph into their family. And, and their family is much wider, by the way. It's traditional print. But it's much wider than just photography. They have an aviation section. They do the birds. They do video. They even do a thing on writing. But yeah. it's the, the aviation section. Uh, okay, so they they've got plane and pilot and aviation education and training network. Now the aviation industry right now is kind of in collapse, to put it lightly. And so yeah, there is some of the properties that this organization has that may have been profitable, uh, profitable that will now not be. Uh, and so we, we come to a, a point where it's okay, this, this is great. I hope Matavor, uh, in general survives because I want imaging resource to survive, uh, under its umbrella. Well, but them getting imaging resource to me is very, very smart because again, for them to start from scratch and try and transition a print company into a digital entity. This gives them that jump start. This gives them that baseline to build from. In fact, they will be apparently their IT department. Imaging resource hadn't been redesigned. You know, the website, the infrastructure, the code yep. hadn't been redesigned in over a decade. So the Matavor people will be coming in to uh, rebuild that site. That will be welcome. The, the questions remain, however, because imaging resource, according to the article, used to have a 10 person staff. That now is going to be down to effectively four. You're going to have one freelancer, two full-time employees, and then the founder, David Etchels, I believe is how it's mm -hmm. pronounced, will be I the so. editor emeritus. He will continue to do his weather sealing test, it said, which is not something I'm familiar with, but it must be for them to mention. It's it. It pretty be. cool. Yeah, okay. Um, the question is, I started by saying I went to Imaging Resource when I first started doing photography because... Their commentary, their editorial stuff, their their reviews were so advertiser free, right? They they Unbiased. had editorial integrity. Yeah. Now you're bringing in this big company. The question is, will they still have that freedom to keep their editorial section completely separate from any advertising issues? Now that they're going to be effectively a big company, and that's going to matter. Yeah. Uh, well, I, to be fair, there, a lot of these companies are owned by larger companies, right? Uh, you know, a lot of publications are owned by a parent company. Um, DP Review is, you know, they're, if you follow the chain up, they're owned by Amazon, right? And they still have uh, editor, uh, editorial integrity within the content that they produce that doesn't always just promote Amazon. And so I find that to be valuable. But that doesn't always happen. There are, no, we, it, you know, it there are cases where sales and marketing has made its way into yep. crushing a negative review on a product that might be an advertiser. And that can't happen. 
Yeah, uh, they have to have that unbiased approach. And and uh, I hope that that's maintained. I hope somebody is listening that is in charge of making that happen to say, hey, give us what we want. Because if you take that away from this platform, you destroy the value in the content itself. And that destroys the platform. So, uh, well, there we but go. This, uh, will be, this will bring credibility, I think, to, to Matavor uh, in many so. ways. And uh, I, I hope to see some great things coming out of Imaging Resource in the future, of course, once all of this blows over. But we were talking earlier about things you can do in your spare time uh, now that you might have more of it than you otherwise expected. And this brings me to a, uh, a problematic story. Um, Did you want to do this first or you had said you might want to do picks earlier? You know what? Let, let's do that. Thanks for reminding me. I, I have got the picks at the end of this. But let, yeah, let, let's break into the picks of the week because some of that does have to relate to the ongoing stuff that we are dealing with. Um, so my pick of the week, because uh, we're doing this out of order because, hey, it's the 100th episode. Why not change it up a little bit? Um, something that I recommended very early on in this podcast, um, and it's still listed on the photogeekweekly.com website, um, is folding at home. Now, what folding at home is, and I originally described it, is it will use your spare CPU and GPU power to do uh, molecular uh, dynamics simulation. So usually with protein folding, but with other related things as well, where uh, you can't really design a drug unless you know what a binding site in a particular molecule or structure is going to be. Uh, and how can you find that? Well, you kind of have to model it computationally uh, in a lot of cases. So what they've done is they've used Markov state models, uh, which basically if Steve, I'm sure you've watched The Price is Right in, in your life, you've seen the game Plinko where you have the little puck that hits a peg and it'll either go left or right and it'll hit another peg and it'll either go left or right. And at the very bottom, you have a bunch of different things. Some of them win prizes, some of them don't. Um, and so a Markov state model is kind of like the distance from one peg to another peg, uh, where you can compute that amount of information with different variables and then send a small chunk of data back to the central computer. So you don't have to compute everything yourself. You can do just a small little section of whatever one known point is with some specific variables that change based on whoever's running the simulation. And everybody's doing this collectively. It could be temperature. It could be the solution that it's in. It could be electromagnetism. There's whatever is going to possibly change things. Um, and then at the end of a bunch of these different states, uh, when it finally gets to the bottom, you end up in a different folded state. The reason why this is important is because when a protein folds improperly, uh, proteins fold inside of our body to activate and change, and it's how they're used. And I'm not going to get into the whole science of that. But when they fold improperly, they cause problems. They cause mad cow disease. They cause Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and half of all cancers and lots of other bad stuff. So if you can figure out what causes them to misfold, you can then reverse engineer that process. And so Folding at Home has just announced that they are basically funneling every bit of their own efforts into finding viable treatments, medicines for this COVID-19 coronavirus that we are currently experiencing. So if you have a CPU, uh, well, if you're listening to us, you've got something. Uh, but if you've got a desktop, a laptop, if you've got a dedicated graphics card, that's really the best possible thing here. You can sign up for Folding at Home. And we have a team number. That team number is 3 
1-800-227-4931 because they give you points based on how much data you crunch and how much you send back and how quickly you send it back. And it, they kind of gamify it a little bit, which makes people more engaged with this process. Uh, so you can join a team and support that team. And uh, so if you want to help, you don't want to just sit at home and be, uh, you know, kind of building your portfolio, but maybe you want to you know, support the greater good. Yes, your electricity rates are probably, well, the, the rates are going to stay the same, but you'll use more and you might have to pay a few extra dollars for that. But uh, I am doing it right now. And Steve, what do you think about that whole process with folding at home? I think it's a great idea and it's a great way to, uh, to kind of build a community, especially with what they're doing with COVID-19 now, to kind of get a community together to solve, you know, common issues, right? And to- I, I, I want to uh, say thank you to those that have been supporting our team all this time. And I've got the names in front of me here. Uh, Alessio uh, Guastini, um, Craig uh, Kassikert, Phil Clark, Mark Blomquist, somebody known as ESS, uh, Troy Hickson, somebody known as Human, and Stephen Wamp. Somebody known as Human. <laughs> um, Hugh as in H-U-G-H. M-A-N. Um, but these are people that are currently actively on our team and submitting work units to the project. And so I want to just reach out and say thank you for those people that have been contributing to this project. There's a lot of people in the inactive list as well. We won't necessarily go there, but um, this is a good cause. And it's something that, to me, this is really valuable outside of our current uh, crisis because folding at home has had a lot of publicity in the last little while. I've been supporting this project for almost two decades, by the way, when computers were far less capable than they are today. Um, their servers that generate work units that you download, uh, are overwhelmed at the moment. It's a great problem to have. They've been ramping up new servers, uh, and they're getting to the point where they will be at capacity. So your computers might be idle for a little bit, but what's going to happen once this current crisis is over? They will have orders of magnitude more computing power at their disposal to solve other health problems that us as the human race are encountering. So uh, as another silver lining of this whole problem, if you support folding at home right now and keep that going, you'll make the world a better place. And that's uh, that's a big thing to to participate in such a way that you make. And, and I, I don't want people to think of it as the world a better place even from from this huge point of view, that includes you, right? It yeah. it makes the community that you live in, the people that you interact with on a daily basis, you, it can improve those lives. So that's really the key is, but I just also have to throw out there that if you're looking at, you know, creating a band, a great band name would be someone known as human. <laughs> there we go. Um, now, I actually went out and I bought a, a new graphics card to support this project. I mean, my old one was starting to die. Um, and I figured, well, one of the last things that I do before I kind of quarantine myself is uh, not that I have COVID-19 or anything, but we are just kind of closing our doors right now just to, uh, we don't need to be a part of the problem. Uh, we got everything we need at home. Um, but I went into one of my uh, brick and mortar stores, which I don't usually shop at for computer components, walked in, pointed at a uh, Radeon RX 5700 XT, which is one of the best from uh, AMD right now. I've always been a fan of theirs. And uh, it is crunching numbers right now in support of this project. And... I've noticed that um, 
just doing some uh, four and six K video editing in the last little while, but that's actually improved some of my uh, productivity right there. So would I have normally waited a little bit longer to see something from AMD because they're always coming up with new stuff? Yes, but I'm going to support the tech industry now by making that purchase. I'm going to support the biotech industry by crunching these numbers, and I'm going to feel like a productive member of society. So um, there we have it. That was my pick. Nice one. Mine is something I stumbled across. Across, across. I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, across. So I've probably mentioned it before, but it's almost like an addiction to me. B&H has an area, B&H Photo Video, has a page called the B&H Deal Zone. You've and mentioned the B&H it Deal Zone before, is, and it has been a uh, a drain on my wallet in the past. Oh, well. man. I've lost so much money because of this. So here's the idea. Midnight Eastern time, so my time, it's 9 p.m. every single weeknight. B&H posts anywhere from one to five products, usually at very large discounts, meaning, you know, somewhere in the 40% type discount area. So, for example, right now, if I just pull up B&H Deal Zone, they've got things up there that are normally $219 for $170 or... Uh, you know, a case where you save $200. Uh, here's an interesting one, you know, lower price range. It's normally 88. It's for 42. And there's stuff in here where you're saving 185 bucks instantly. So there's some really good stuff on B&H Deal Zone. Well, I happen to be every single night. Oh, is it nine o'clock yet? Yeah, let's go check. And <clears throat> for my mobile interview rig that I was going to be using at WPPI this year, I wanted to get one of those monopods with feet and put my camera system and lighting system on that. And I happened to stop by B&H Deal Zone and they had a Benro A48FD aluminum monopod with a three-leg base. And it came with either their lower end, I think it's an S4 or an S6 fluid video head. Now, I personally won't use the fluid video head much, but you know what? It's actually really nice to have one. But here's what came in cool for me. This three-legged base, and by the way, again, it's an aluminum monopod. It's not carbon fiber. It's light enough. I kind of wish it was carbon fiber, but again, it's not uh, super that, heavy. That would like double or triple the price based on what I'm seeing in terms of And that's the thing. So right. this thing with the fluid video head is normally $250 right now, $249.95 US. It was on sale for like 129 bucks when I got it. And it's worth the 250. So I got it. I took the fluid head off. I mount my interview rig on top of it. And this this just if you just buy the aluminum monopod with three legs, that's only $95. Yeah. Super worth it. I absolutely love this thing. Now, part of the reason I love it, it looks like they may have changed, and that was if you buy the version with the video head, mine came with a zippered bag, and it was narrow at the bottom where the feet was and wide at the top where the big ball head, the big video fluid head was. And the reason that's cool is I could mount my Osmo Pocket with my phone with a light on it and a Zoom H6 Velcroed around the grip put it in the bag, zip it closed, throw it on my shoulder, walk around to my next interview. I didn't have to take anything off. Right. Well, the, the picture of the bag is still in the product images section uh, in that area. But it's not a zipper bag anymore. Oh. Now, if you do the fluid head one, it looks more like a drawstring bag. It does. Yep. You're and right. 
I don't know what that bag's like, so I can't vouch for that, but I will just say this monopod is, I love it. And if you want to see a video of it, by the way, I had somebody when I was doing interviews at WPBI, I had some Canon Explorers alight. And as I'm doing interviews, I see people coming up to my gear and looking at it closely and wondering what it is. And one guy, when I was done with an interview goes, dude, you need to do a video on this. So on my YouTube channel, I have an eight-minute video where I do a full walkthrough of the mobile system that I used. I'll make and sure to get a link to that in our show you'll, you'll see this uh, monopod in there. And it's a monopod with feet. It has a little wheel at the bottom that you loosen, and then you can angle the monopod and then tighten it again. It's, I love it. Uh, well, and uh, the monopod I bought was an old Manfrotto design from, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, and I used it a handful of times and then just kind of disregarded it. And it's just kind of been hanging on a back wall of my studio. And recently uh, in my studio, I, uh, I had Jordan Drake over for some pro- uh, projects that I can't really talk about yet. But he didn't bring a monopod. He loves monopods. And he used mine and he did not like it. He was quite grumbly about it. So, really? Um, well, it was it was an antiquated design. The head sucked. It didn't have legs and, uh, and any of right. these other things. So it was it was not good. Uh, so for 95 bucks, it might just be worth my while to invest in one of these myself. I don't think that's a bad, I, I have three. I have a small Gitzo traveler monopod. I have, it's either a Benro or, uh, it might be an Enduro carbon fiber monopod. And then this one I got with the feet and I'm just telling you, it's awesome. All right. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate those picks. You always come up with something interesting for us uh, to stay creative and productive with that doesn't necessarily break the bank. Um, Let's talk about our next story. Uh, So Petapixel is reporting this story. Title is Photographer Finds Her Photos Have Been Stolen and Used Over 1500 Times by PixArt. You want to take the head on this one? Yeah, I don't even know where to start with this. First of all, the the uh, when I read this, there was a boiling effect at times. Uh, the photographer is Rosie Hardy. And PixArt, if you don't know, uh, PixArt is a service where people can, you know, users can upload images and create stickers and things like that. They have, by their own admission, millions of images on the service. And to give you an idea, their Instagram following is 2.2 million. Let's describe stickers for a minute here, because I think it's important to understand what that is. It's basically an object from a photograph where the background has been removed um, and is a transparency, uh, like a PNG file that other people can then take that and kind of composite their own scenes together by just putting a bunch of these uh, background removed images that they're calling stickers together in their own composition, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And what Rosie found was that her picture, her her photo uh, had been, or photos, had been made as stickers through PixArt. The way she found out actually was really funny to me. It was, by the way, it was 1,547 times without credit, license, or payment. But it was, the way I read the article, it was actually 846 stickers being done through that many. But the way she found out was there was a photographer who happened to find her work on Instagram, was looking through her feed, found a picture that he realized as also a PixArt user that he had made a sticker of on PixArt. And so he messaged her on Instagram and said, hey, I found your feed. I love your work. I realized that this picture 
I've also used over on PixArt. Somebody else had posted it there. And she said to him, which picture is it? And here's what's disturbing, most disturbing to me. A number of the pictures of hers that were taken by somebody and uploaded to PixArt were self-portraits. Yep. And a few of them were used in uncomfortable, not good ways. Well, where so, she was cut out and put into a very, very not good scene. This this is interesting because that would be a derivative, uh, a derivative, derivative work is the legal term. And I'm not a lawyer, but uh, and you could battle back and forth the differences between derivative and transformative. But I would consider almost all of these uses to be derivative, uh, especially based on the ease of use of just putting this stuff together. Um, so that means that she still owns the copyright to any derivative work. Um, and to see her work being misappropriated in a way that compromises her own integrity, uh, is, uh, it's disheartening. I mean, to say to, the least, to, to, to put it lightly. Yeah. And you know what? I just looked up my records as we were uh, chatting here. If I had any communications with PixArt for takedown notices, cause Steve, you know me. Um, I send takedown notices out on a regular basis and, uh, I sometimes get very vitriolic or very ignorant responses back from people. Usually when it's to a larger company, uh, an organization that has a registered DMCA agent, uh, for takedown purposes, it's very professional and what have you. Um, in the last year I've sent, uh, or in, in but since the beginning of 2020, I have sent two DMCA takedown notices myself to PixArt because my work was being misappropriated on that platform as well. It's not just this one user, it's me, it might be you steve it might be just about every one of us because a lot of people don't look for their own copyright being infringed and that's the platform pixart themselves hide behind the dmca safe harbor uh and that's where my blood boils and that's where my blood boils too because they they understand that they are protected legally uh and i don't want to uh, put words in their mouth here but if anybody was to build a business model around that dmca safe harbor they would let people uh misappropriate and infringe on copyrights for the platform's existence and then simply act reactionarily when people will uh you know discover their work being misappropriated but you if see, you if you have to send out 1500 plus takedown notices individually the onus is on the burden is on the person that has been disenfranchised here and that is part of the problem as well well and first of all she took the time which is fascinating to me to just look for some other names she knew that do her type of surreal photography and she found a bunch of other you know quote unquote known photographers up there but the thing i pix pixart's response to her first of all pixart was difficult for her to reach she tried many many times couldn't and ended up dming them on a social media platform to get somewhere but their response is so um, just uninterested to me. The typical, we understand your so frustration, yeah. but please note that these stickers were made by users, not by PixArt. And they're hiding behind that idea of, look, if you post a video to YouTube, YouTube's not responsible for the content, that type of concept. But the problem here is it is Pixar's fault. Pixar does have a responsibility that 
it is not being utilized. This idea of it was made by users, not PixArt, but it was made, you're leaving out an important part. It was made by users with PixArt's tools. Yep. Right. That's like saying somebody grabbed my sledgehammer and knocked your house down. I'm not responsible for the fact that I allowed my sledgehammer to be out where it could be used poorly. Um, that's a horrible analogy. But anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. I, I get just, the idea. They, they've got to stop hiding behind the DMCA takedown process because that in and of itself can be radically cumbersome. They should be more proactive. When she notified them, they should be more proactive to at least jump in and help remove them, prevent future abuses. And they should be warning users, which it's my understanding they don't. I could be wrong during the upload that you have to own the pictures. Yes, and I'm not sure if they they have done that. Uh, I have a number of email addresses for PixArt. I just looked up their DMC registered email address. It's dmca at pixart.com. That's P-I-C-S-A-R-T.com. I've been receiving correspondence from support at pixart.com. And one particular individual, um, Anna, what's her name here? Uh, her name is Anna Grig. Uh, Gregorian um, and uh, that's Anna.Gregorian at Pixart.com so I've got a number of contacts for them that you can access if you've got like DMCA at Pixart.com that's probably the one to go to because there will be somebody on the other end of that that has to within a responsive manner uh, issue takedowns or respond to requests etc but um, should we as artists I mean, what do we do here? Because they're clearly gaming the system, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, do we do we publicly shame them as we are right now? Is that enough? Should every photographer that's listening to this do a search on Google? Because what you can do, if you're doing a, a reverse image search for an image that uh, you think might be used in this manner, you can start that search on Google, clicking the camera icon on Google Images, upload your image, and then put site colon pixart.com and see anywhere that Google has identified your images on that platform. And you can do that for any platform, Facebook or Twitter, et cetera. Um, but well, and I'll take that a step farther. Go into the advanced search on Google, put something in the different fields that makes sense, hit search, and then look at the search bar to see how it formats that. Then you'll understand the site colon or when you use quotes or when you use whatever to do an advanced search. Learning those type of things can really help you nail down whatever you're searching for, including imagery. And I think if you got time off, doing some reverse image searches uh, is a valuable use of that time. That could be via Google Images, uh, Bing. Uh, I don't use Bing for much these days, but Bing does have a different reverse image search algorithm than Google, and so it can find you different results as well. I don't know what their uh, shorthand is for searching websites by specific sites. They might not have one. Um, but another one that people don't usually think of is Yandex.com. Yandex is the Russian search engine, which most North Americans probably are not familiar with. They have, in my opinion, a reverse image search algorithm that is as robust and maybe more robust than Google's own image search algorithm. Uh, and so I use them all, especially for some of my most infringed images. And, and that can help you track down some of this stuff. And don't just let it go. Be, especially now, if it's a non-commercial use or something, just defend your work. Send out notices these platforms can't be allowed to operate as status quo in in my opinion because it just 
it devalues the original creators of all of this work. Now, in my very earliest era of photography, was I guilty of, uh, of copyright infringement? I'm sure everybody was to some degree in their youthful indiscretion. Um, but should you evolve beyond that? Is it something that you should uh, build a business around? Absolutely not. And, and so we now have to be uh, representatives of copyright and wave that banner and just make sure that everybody respects the value of, of art. Created well, and it's by an anybody. education thing. I mean, let's it be is. honest. If, if, and when you did it in your youth, the odds are you probably either didn't know or you knew, but you really didn't understand the impact of it. Like jaywalking, everybody, you know, it, everybody's done it. You may not understand the impact of it, but it is, it is an educational thing where you need to be out there and let people know. I had somebody take one of my images to just this week, cut the subject out. It was a musical image, cut the subject out of the bass player of this band, put it on some surreal background, post it on Instagram, and then tag me. That's the worst. They tagged you. So they knew it was yours. After, they, after butchering my image. Yeah. And so, that, I mean, it's derivative work. You are still the copyright holder of it. So that's copyright infringement. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Um, but they have the audacity to then tag you on it as if there's that they have done nothing wrong. The ignorance is extreme. Yeah. I mean, and they were in Buenos Aires and they were a fan of the band and they thought they were doing in their head, they were doing something nice. The truth is they weren't. And either you send a DMCA takedown notice, or if you prefer, you reach out to them and say, take it down. Don't ever say a price until you know you're going to go after them for money because you might want to talk to a lawyer first because once you open up with a price, you're kind of stuck with that even if yep. you underpriced it. But the main thing is, deal with it some way, say something, do something so that people understand just because it's on the internet, it isn't free. That's right. I love that phrase. I've said it many times myself. And you know, I, just to add in one more anecdote, we have one more story to get to. It's going to be quick, but I want to mention something here because it happened this week. Um, well, it started a long time ago. It started with uh, one of my macro images, that was infringed by a company um, that does some uh, music stuff on YouTube. Uh, and I don't want to give specifics here, but uh, I oftentimes, especially if somebody's using it on YouTube and it, it's not a local company, it's somebody overseas and I can't track down a lawyer for it. I just send a takedown notice to YouTube. Um, and so I did. And, and at the time they had reported back to me with what looked like a broken English, but cookie cutter kind of response saying, Hey, we're sorry, we won't do it again. Can you please remove the copyright strike? And people don't know it, when you get a copyright strike on YouTube, a copy strike, as it's also called, um, yeah, it, it might initially limit you from some things. I, I remember hearing something about live streams being disallowed if you have one copyright strike, for example. Uh, but if you've got three of them, then your account gets deleted, right? And, and you've got a, a very short period of time to sort it out. So it's meant as a deterrent to stop doing bad behavior. Three strikes and you're out. And so I did not retract my copyright strike. Months later, I discovered another one of my images, very similar to the first one, being infringed by the same company in exactly the same way. And I sent a copyright strike to them, uh, you know, by sending a DMC takedown notice and YouTube is going to vet that they're going to review it, make sure that it's legitimate and so on and so forth, which 
their process for doing so I think is more limited than it should be. They ask you just for the title of the work that you are claiming infringement on, not an image or where they can find it online like a lot of other people will do, including Facebook uh, and Twitter. So, but anyhow, yeah, I fill out the form and I go forward uh, and I get a very frantic response from them because they've now received three. I know two are from me, uh, but they've received three in total and their account is, well, it's facing deletion. And I said, okay, guys, um, if you want me to do anything about, this is the second from me alone. Um, You didn't learn your lesson the first time. I'm not just going to retract this. Uh, If this is your business and you are doing this uh, repetitively, then you're going to have to pay me a retroactive license to use this image. And uh, they paid it. And this was one of the very first times that somebody on my own without first hiring a lawyer has actually paid me anything for copyright infringement. I always say hire a lawyer to do this. Um, And occasionally I will send out invoices that uh, are, they don't get paid often, I will admit. It's a much better hit ratio with with a legal name uh, in front of the letter. But um, now this past week, I got a a settlement. that uh, basically a retroactive license, they don't get to use it moving forward, but I'll retract that copy strike. And they are two strikes now. Uh, They better learn their lesson. And that's what that whole system is for. They've paid for it. And they now have to learn and do better. And we should all do better for this. And not only that, but the way you described it to me before we recorded this was part of your invoice was that they also had to say something nice about you. Yes. Well, uh, the, the the point of, of this is we have to educate the general public. Us right. as content creators have to be proactive. We have to go out there and seek for our work that might be misappropriated. And I have found work of other photographers that I've recognized being misappropriated, and I've informed them. Um, I had a, a friend of mine uh, send me... Uh, and I, again, I can't name names, but an electronic greeting card, um, because they saw my image being used on that greeting card without my permission, or they just assumed without my permission and they sent it to me. And that has been a case that is ongoing and hopefully will be solved soon. Uh, I had somebody also a fan of mine that recognized my work and saw it screen printed on a bicycle Jersey and recognized it right away. And uh, sent me a photograph of that. And that ended up being a settlement that has pushed me forward in my own business. So, well, you, you have to, we have to educate, but more importantly, you have to know what your worth is. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. I had a guy on behind the shot named Noam Galai, who is a Getty shooter from New York, uh, phenomenal photographer. I mean, this guy's done just amazing work. Well, He was goofing around in the basement one day or wherever it was doing selfies of him screaming. And he created a photo called uh, the scream. And again, selfie. Somebody came up to him like a year later, whatever it was, watch the episode. It gives all the details, but like a year later saying, Oh, I didn't know you had a t-shirt. And he said, I don't know what you mean. I don't have a t-shirt. Took him down, showed him in the store. There was a t-shirt with his scream on it. Oh man. So he started researching it. It ends out this scream had become an image of rebellion. It had been painted just like the photo on the sides of buildings in Syria, 
on the sides of buildings in South America where oh, wow. people are protesting. It had been on book covers and everything else. He, there's nothing he can do about it. It's literally gone worldwide at this point. If you go look at the the website about the scream for no, I Blight. believe there are some legal, uh, some case law stuff that has, uh, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but that has basically stated that even if something goes viral, you still own the copyright to it. Now, good luck defending your copyright in Syria uh, or Russia or India or Nepal or wherever else. I mean, it, it, it's not going to be something that's an easy process. It probably is not possible at all. Um, but if that flows into uh, North America, uh, especially in Canada and the U.S., you know, he should, number one, register his copyright if he hasn't already. Uh, number two. Oh, yeah, anybody- he registers his copyright. Uh, and so, uh, but number two, uh, then, you know, it can be enforced in the United States. Uh, yeah. At it, this it, point, it, he's probably gotten more exposure from this, but if you go to Noam Galai, it's dot com slash, uh, or if you just search for him and the stolen scream, you'll find it everywhere. It's been on right. F stoppers video. It had a thing and. Well, okay, you could turn it into publicity if you want, yeah. but I don't. I don't want to condone that "quote unquote" exposure is a Correct. fair trade for being paid instead. Yeah, this is this isn't even exposure. This is trust me. Go look at it. You'll see what I mean. It's it's insane what happened to this picture, but the way he found out about it to me was hilarious. That is fun. That is fun. Now uh, let's go into our final story uh, of the episode. This one I don't. We won't spend much time on, but I'm just so happy about it. And I want to end on a happy note. Uh, Reported from DP Review, uh, the C4 Precision Optics, which is kind of a spinoff of LensRentals.com, they have finally released their 4.9 millimeter F3.5 Hyper Fisheye Lens, uh, releasing it in the Sony E-mount for a price of $39,000. This is uh, gratuitous. It's awesome. It sees it's interesting. It sees 270 degrees. So it definitely sees behind itself. You know, Nikon had a six millimeter fisheye lens that I think saw 210 degrees. And this was years ago. And they are now heralded as a collector's item. Very this, rare. And by the way, that that Nikkor six millimeter F 2.8 generally is around six figures if you want to get one. Yeah, exactly. So this is decidedly less expensive than that, even though the price tag is huge. Um, And uh, it is built in a very interesting way. The fact that something like this could even come to market at any price just makes me grin as a photo geek. Did you see the video of them hand building it? It's hand built. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so uh, clearly, but this is not a volume production thing. This is something that is probably built to order unless something is retired from a rental stream, which by the way, you can rent this. And if you have a client, a project, whatever, yeah, you're going to be in the four figures. It's going to cost you $1,246 USD uh, a week for the rental. So Uh, the way the Canadian dollar is sliding right now, I'm not sure if I could uh, justify a rental of one, but even if I were to take this out into a beautiful clearing, we've got a dark sky preserve and, uh, shoot a, a wonderful scene uh, of the night sky all around with uh, everything and including the ground surrounding it, uh, that would be a fun, a fun project to, but I, this would be designed more for people wanting to create a, uh, a virtual walkthrough of a room 
you know, you could set this in various rooms of a house for real estate purposes and so on and so forth. Um, so if, if this has a purpose for you, it now exists. And I am so happy when technology that has such a tiny footprint in terms of the number of people, the tiny niche that they are targeted for actually come out and do that job really well. And so this is one of those. What do you think, Steve? Well, C4 is an interesting thing too, because it's the founder of Lens Rentals, <laughs> apparently back in 2015 on April Fool's Day, announced they were creating C4 and everybody thought that it was, you know, C4 Precision Optics. Everybody thought it was an April Fool's joke. And they come out with this, a $39,000 fully manual lens. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, but go look at the pictures. Go look at, at the Lens Rentals blog post or, or this particular article that Don will have a link to from, from DP Review. Because it's this weird thing. When you look at it, it almost looks like a dome helmet on three tripod legs with a Sony camera mounted underneath it pointing up. I wish it had other camera mounts, by the way. I'm a little well, bitter that I can't use it. And that's my question to you is why they pick a Sony mount? And I'm, I'm thinking it's because the body is so small and so light and they don't want you trying to stick a, D, a Nikon D5 in there? I don't know. I, I just think based on market share in the mirrorless platform, Sony has it. And if you're going to start with one platform that uh, has the, the largest number of people that could potentially use it, that there's, the numbers say right now that is Sony. I wonder if you could use an adapter on there to mount a Z mount or an R mount. Well, not if it's a native E-mount. Now, it, it might have actually made more sense if they designed it around a Canon EF mount, because then you could adapt that to E to or anything. R or Z or anything, right? So, uh, But they went with the E-mount, at least with the current production versions. But I'm sure if you got pockets deep enough to afford that price tag, uh, you might be able to reach out and say, hey, can I pay a little extra to modify that lens mount. Well, but again, look at the, you know, if you've got the right job and you're charging it back to a client, 1250 for a week isn't anything. The thing that surprised me and you can't tell this from the picture at all. 28.6 pounds. It's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> that's without the camera. Yeah, that's just the lens. Well, I mean, if you look at the front element, which is like a semi-spherical uh, piece of glass, imagine how much that has to weigh. It, the, the whole thing is just insane, but I think so cool. Uh, well, I, I'm so glad that, you know, right now we can have these little glimmers of giddiness in terms of photo geekery that we uh, that we enjoy. And so oh, that, and by uh, the way, nickname, it has a nickname. And the, the nickname is? The light bender. Ah, I love it. Uh, they also had some other lenses that they had put out as well in concepts in that April Fool's announcement. One was a 66.6 millimeter F 0.666 micro four thirds lens, uh, which would be the beast, uh, I assume, in terms of a nickname. That I don't know if would ever come to fruition, but especially if it was built around a smaller sensor, uh, it might have a more affordable price tag and it might be worth owning just for the sake of having Well, micro four thirds though, but they also had had originally stated 150 millimeter F 1.0 <laughs> full frame ridiculous. prime lens, which what is that? 70 pounds. I, 
I don't know. I don't know. But uh, hey, there could be uses for that. I mean, if you look at the old um, aerial lenses, especially yeah. during wartime, they were designed to be ridiculously fast because they might be mounted in the bellies of bombers to be uh, taking pictures at night. And so the uh, the light collecting abilities by the necessity of the technology of that era dictated that the price didn't matter. So that's not unprecedented. It right. is unprecedented in a consumer space, though. If you call 39,000 consumer, but okay. Well, hey, you know. Commercial space. We'll call it commercial space. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it that. And let's just say, hey, photo industry, keep giving us this fun stuff to talk about because I just, I would love to see those other two lenses come to market. But at the very least, I would love to see the photo industry continue to be innovative, especially through this difficult time. So Steve, thank you again for being on this episode. Where can people find you? First of all, 100 episodes. So I joked around singing happy birthday at the beginning, but seriously, I I am just so happy for you that you made it to 100 episodes on a podcast that I still consider one of the best resources and fun, geeky photo news type stuff out there. So just congratulations to you. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. People can find me at stevebrazel.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-L, two L's like the country Brazil, but two L's. Uh, it's Steve Brazel on Twitter, which is where I actually prefer most of my social media consumption. And Steve Brazel on Instagram. And it's also behindtheshot.tv is the podcast. And that is Behind the Shot TV. And that's on both Instagram and Twitter. Of course, Don and I are doing our critique shows usually once a month right now, like the yeah, first, that's fun. you know, beginning of the month on a Thursday usually. And those are on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. And so I'll have all of the links to that in the show notes. And uh, feel free to follow me, uh, uh, Don Komarechka, at uh, uh, at Doncom or at Doncom Photo on various social media networks. That will be in the show notes as well. Check those out for everything that we talked about. Appreciate you listening to the 100th episode. And now it's time to stay in and shoot.